This is Raphael of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And when we're not out kicking Shredder's butt, we're listening to the great, big, beautiful podcast, Turtle Power! Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. For a while, we didn't even have a house phone, not to mention laser discs, high-def TV. You are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... Well, when we finished Dark Crystal, five years of our lives, and we were exhausted, and we, we sort of said, well, never, ever again. And we'd gone to an opening of that in San Francisco, and after, after that, we were... Wendy and Jim and myself were in a limousine, and we were driving off, and then Jim just looked at me and said, should we do another one? <laughs> Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the GBB Podcast. Find us on Facebook at the GBB Podcast. And we are on geekdad.com. How's it going, Jamie? It's going. How's it going, going, Justin? It's going good. It's going good. We have successfully passed our one-year anniversary. We did. we did. We successfully passed, and um, we had that experimental live chat, which <laughs> had its ups and had its downs, and I'm not sure we'll be doing another one of those super soon, but it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> and if we did do it, I think we would probably scale down the amount of people that were in the room, maybe? I don't know. Um. Y- well, yeah, we had like 10 in there. Yeah. Um. And... Uh, it- even though we had 10 in there, there were still times when nobody would talk. <laughs> <laughs> but, so. you know, that's how I remember one of my first live casts I did uh, was with the Life of Dad crew. And it was like a dad chat. And I remember just sitting there being like, all these guys are on here and I'm supposed to say something interesting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you kind of you feel back. a little intimidated. Right. But it was a lot of fun. And we want to thank everyone for coming out for it. But we'll talk more about that when we do the Unplugged. Maybe. I don't know. We already did the intro outro for that and everything. Anyway, we want to thank you guys for coming. I'm just all over the place today. And all the guys that were in there, it was awesome meeting some of you if we, if it was the first time. And thank you. Yeah, in- yeah, definitely. Thank you to everybody who came because it was, uh, we like we said at the top, uh, Justin and I didn't really have a plan. We were just like, <laughs> hey, it's, you know, we survived a year. Let's just have a bunch of people on and talk about stuff. And, right. Uh, yeah, we just kind of winged it the entire time. Yeah, and maybe Jamie and I talked about it a little bit. We might do a live broadcast format for some of our unplugs in the future. Like we send out the link and people can watch it as we record it. I think that was kind of fun. It was kind of fun. We had, you know, we had people watching live that weren't in the room. So it was, you know, we were expecting nobody to watch because we also didn't really do a very good job of promoting it. We just kind of said at the very last minute, hey, we're doing this. Um, But I think if we actually got our act together and, and promoted it and had a schedule, then I think that would be something that's kind of cool, maybe. Yeah, maybe, 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 maybe not. I don't why don't know. you, t- you listener out there, why don't you tell us if that's cool? Is that something that you'd like to see? Yeah. Um, because and, we'd, be, and, we'd be game. Exactly. And the live broadcast would always be, because we're all, well, not all of us, but a lot of us are parents and, you know, we need our kids in bed to be able to do this. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so we would have it at a good time for you. Definitely. So this week we are talking to Brian Froud 
And Jamie's going to tell us a little bit more about him. Yeah, Brian Froud, um, if you are a Jim Henson fan, if you are a Muppets fan, um, he is a legend. Uh, he worked with uh, Henson way back on Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and um, the Storyteller series. Uh, he After that, you know, he went on and he... Um, He's he's still today working, and he does. He's become very famous for his goblins and trolls and fairy art. Um, he works a lot with his wife on that, um, and it's just he has a very signature. He's got a signature style that, if you know Dark Crystal, then you know his style because um, that is basically him. Uh, and he has been a huge. Um, I don't want to say influence. I'm not an artist, so I mean, I guess I don't know if he's really an influence on me, but I've been a huge fan of his for a long, long time. And this was just an absolute treat to have him on. Um, you know, we talked about his career. We talk about working with Jim Henson. Um, we talk about um, where things are going because both Dark Crystal and Labyrinth have uh, rumored sequels in the works. Um, and so, uh, you know, we kind of cover a lot of ground here and he's just the sweetest guy and just full of fascinating, fascinating stories. All right, so we're going to play it for you right now. Enjoy. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> um, I guess I want to start with, you've basically built your career around goblins and fairies. That is what you are known for. But I have to ask, what makes them so compelling to you as a subject? Um, I think it's because uh, when I used to be what I would call a jobbing illustrator, um, I used to work in London and do book covers and magazine illustration and anything that came along. But I got really bored with it. I just felt there was something missing. And um, I thought that it, I needed to move, uh, physically move, and I moved to the country. And once I arrived here in the countryside, um, I had this extraordinary response because when I looked at things, I looked at the hill, I looked at the tree, I sort of, as an artist, I knew what they, what they looked like on the outside. But... I always wondered what they felt like on mm -hmm. the inside. And when I, when I articulated that, suddenly I was sort of uh, seeing trolls and fairies. <laughs> and so my fairy world creatures are all about the, the inner nature yeah. of nature. <laughs> so that's interesting because I, I, I think maybe the assumption is from a lot of people who who work on fantasy art or have a you know this fascination with with the fairy world or goblins and trolls and these these creatures. I think a lot of people say that oh I've been fascinated with that since I was a kid and when I was a kid I saw fairies everywhere or I, I saw I imagined that there were goblins living in the woods, and so your your yours grew out of a of an adult desire to see you know what you seeing the art in the world around you. Yes, I mean, it had indeed started uh, way back. It had started um, when I was uh, art school, and um, I was training to be a painter. But um, I, got, I got, again, I got bored with the fact that people, as far as I'm concerned, could paint rubbish painting. Yeah. <laughs> but if they could explain it in some sort of made-up, erudite fashion... It was deemed like good art, and I thought this is not really true. I felt very really strongly that the, uh, the picture 
should somehow tell its own story, right. um, that it, you didn't need all the extra words yeah. with it. And so um, I, I changed courses. I moved out of uh, fine art into um, graphic design because that seemed actually much more honest. Um, you know, there was a picture of a car and you, and you sold the car. There was money <laughs> and transactions and it seemed much more honest than the, the, the contemporary art. But as I was uh, waiting to have my interview, um, it was in the college library, I came across a book by Arthur Rackham, um, you know, who painted uh, mm -hmm. fairies and, and illustrated um, fairy tales, you know, the turn of the century. And it was in particular the images he had of trees. And it, the trees all had personalities. They had faces in them. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to me precisely how I felt as a child. Because I was always climbing trees, always exploring woods. And instinctively, I felt there was sort of spirit and soul yeah. <laughs> in, in woods. And so that really stuck with me and so when I actually you know they said with a move to the country I responded to the landscape by drawing it as as creatures yeah uh, it, it, what you said was interesting because you, you talked about you know people who were just painting images and then they gave it their own expression or they gave it their own meaning and it right. wasn't necessarily what anybody else might have gotten out of that uh, in that pictures should tell their own story, and I very I agree with that. I I think that's 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 beautiful. I'm wondering, do you think that, or would you agree with that a a painting or a picture tells its own story to the viewer? Does it have to be? Is it? Do you intend a painting or a picture to tell one story, or can it tell a multitude of stories for whoever's looking at it? Um, I think. Uh, when I create images, um, I don't direct the images. I don't impose upon it yeah. a, a preconceived idea of what it means and what, indeed, what these creatures are. Because um, um, although they have form and shape, the underlying aspect of them is, is abstractions. Right. So it's proportion, and, um, and I'm really trying to paint, in many ways, light, and so all that um, is, I have to, as an artist, sort of stand aside and allow whatever it is to sort of come through. And when it's finished, I have no idea what, <laughs> what it means. I mean, what are they? What, what is it I've just painted? I, I haven't imposed upon it uh, my own story. It's their story. Yeah. And so often, you know, I've given it, I give that away to somebody else to explain. And, you know, in the past few years working with my wife, Wendy, she's been the, the perfect person to um, put words to yeah. it because all we do, uh, both of us, is rather just listen to the image yeah. and, and let it speak. And if, the, and if you can do that, um, it keeps changing. Yeah. And so when, um, and I deliberately paint in a way that's uh, open. Um, I mean, I find a lot of what's you know, deemed uh, fantasy art um, rather overworked <laughs> and <laughs> overwrought. And um, the images are very shiny. Uh, and what I mean by that is that they're rendered too precisely. 
-hmm. And when you look at them, there's no way into them. Um, your eye skids off them. Your emotion skids off it. Whereas when I paint, it's sort of loose and it allows you in because it's everything's not quite finished. <laughs> it yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And, and it means that um, every time you view one of my paintings, it's different each time because you've changed and, and the image seems to have shifted. And I, I work really hard on trying to keep these images open because they are like gateways into another world, into another you know, spiritual and emotional world. Have you ever been surprised at what that what one of your images has spoken to somebody else like the the what they've gotten somebody else has gotten out of out of one of your pieces have you ever been sort of not shocked in a bad way or a good way necessarily but just sort of surprised that somebody who viewed it took that story and went in a direction that you could not have imagined um well i think that you can never tell exactly yeah. how people are going to respond i mean certain you know there was a, a certain image that i was very happy with with a character though i didn't know exactly what it was and um you know most people had good responses to it but every so often some people would have a bad response and that was a puzzle um well, eventually when i sort of asked <laughs> asked the creature well what was it it turned out it was a um it was honesty and there was something about the eyes um reflected back to the viewer an honest opinion <laughs> so people were rather uncomfortable with themselves they had a great response if they were uncomfortable with themselves they didn't like it because it was being truthful yeah to them that's that fascinated me but also how um people can often sort of maybe uh, misconstrue what they're looking at i mean somebody there was a commission complained about the face of evil in the background, mm. which I took offense to because I say, well, actually, excuse me, I don't paint evil. Yeah. I, I very deliberately do, you know, do not enter into that. There's enough problems in the world without me <laughs> helping it out. But it, was, it turned out it was something to do with the eyes. Again, it's always about eyes. Um, and they, they, they found it disconcerting. Because um, one eye was open and the other eye was sh shut, which is something I, when I, what I like to paint into the pictures is ambiguity. Right. And so their response to ambiguity was that they found it worrying, <laughs> and, and the only thing they could come up with the idea it was evil. But it, but once I changed the eyes, made them both the same, they were very happy <laughs> with mm. it. And I would never imagine that response. So, yeah. you know, you never can tell. But that's good because it means the, the, the thing is living. It's yeah. not fixed. Absolutely. Mm. So, you, so you sit down to create an image and from what it sounds like, you would say that you more or less just give birth to it. You know, it, it comes out of, out of the ink and out of the brush and it comes out of you and slowly but surely, it, you know, you give birth to this character. Yes, I mean, it's, there are lots of, um, it, I mean, it's a struggle. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's very trite, it seems to be as an artist struggling, but it's true, it's a nightmare. <laughs> You're in a, painting is just a series of mistakes, yeah. you know, always going wrong, and it's trying to rescue it all the time. 
but in in the rescuing you you're making marks or you're making decisions about um shapes and forms subconsciously that is moving towards it being right and it's very interesting how your inner voice keeps telling you it's like no no wrong 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 oh ah that, yeah. that you know you suddenly something's happening and that's in the abstractions of it of it all that um that the somehow is touching i guess the maybe the subconscious or sure um uh, but in the sub touching the subconscious trying to touch the subconscious you know of the world itself somehow yeah so i guess i'm curious what 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 i'm trying to ask is how long does that struggle last usually i'm not talking about the extreme cases but how long before as you're creating and as you know the the character is speaking to you how long before you you hit on that moment you're like ah this is where it needs to go this is who this is it varies it's very difficult to say each one each one is its own um its own person or its own thing yeah um and sometimes it's sort of easy and i'm always astonished especially when i'm trying to draw it onto the board before i start to paint how I can be there for days just drawing a line, yeah. you know, rubbing it out and doing it again and rubbing it out Oof. and not being happy with it and not knowing what to do, not understanding why it's not working, you know, and then suddenly it works. Yeah. Because then, you know, you think, oh, great. But then you've got to figure out what the next line is because <laughs> <laughs> now it's sort of in response to the other line and it just is a, you know, series of, it's a ripple effect. Little things that eventually build up. And then, of course, when you throw paint on it, so to speak, is that it, it's always a disaster. <laughs> and then you've got to try and pull that out and rescue that. And then you've got to know when to finish. <laughs> That's, I think, the be- I think the mark of an artist is know when to stop. Yeah. <laughs> is know when to step away because it's not that it's going to be any better if you put more marks on it. It means it just goes out of balance. Right. And it's all about trying to bring things into balance all the time. And just uh, um, and I never see the end coming. I mean, I always think, oh, maybe I've got another four or five days. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, at the end of the afternoon, I think, oh, I think I'm done. It's finished. <laughs> Are, are you ever completely satisfied, or no, do you just arrive never. at that no, point? No, every single picture I make is rubbish. It's <laughs> horrible. It's the worst painting I've ever, ever done. So and then the next, I work on the next one, and I go, "Oh no, no, no! Wait a minute! This is the worst. This I've is the worst one." <laughs> and then you look at the one before, and think, "Well, oh, maybe that's not so bad." So <laughs> I don't think you're ever that satisfied. It's because no matter about how much. You know, as an artist, I try to step aside uh-huh. and let it um, happen. Um, you can't help but being um, interfering with it or, or invest it with some hope and desire that it might be, you know, halfway good. And so when you do finish, you think, well, was that it? <laughs> was that all I could manage? That was, that was, am I really done? All I that struggle to arrive good, here. But but it is indeed, as we mentioned before, is that it's the, 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 the viewer, the other people that look at the picture, see other qualities in it that you missed. 
Mm-hmm. You know, because you, you you're just too preoccupied with it, hopefully yeah. being good, and it never is as good as you hoped. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm wondering, are you still close uh, to Alan Lee? And I'm wondering, are, would you ever work together again? Um, I don't know. I mean, Alan is um, he's you know he's back in the village that we live in because he's you know finished on uh, you know, the Hobbit. Yeah. So he's been uh, for years been away in New Zealand working on that. But he um, wants to do some more uh, work connected to Tolkien. So, I mean, he's, that's his whole career. Absolutely. <laughs> he's a genius at it. Yeah. You know? And so I don't know if we would work together or not, but, I mean, I'm always open to that. Yeah. I know you've been doing a lot of, um, a lot of work with your wife recently, but are you looking at any other collaborations? No, not at the moment. I've yeah. been perfect. Um, uh, you know, going backwards and forwards, and me making images, and um, she responding um, with, with words, and then when we put it together in a book, um, putting to images together in a book is an interesting process of of which how I design it, and how some images are big and some are small, and mm-hmm. some are finished paintings, some are very loose sketches, um, and when they start to go together on the pages, they start to develop um, a relationship um, that I'd never seen before, and they start to sort of tell, uh, in many ways, their own story. And so that's, although it's <laughs> hard, really hard work, you know, at least a painting can be over in a week mm-hmm. or in a month, when you're working on a book, it's about two years of your life oh, absolutely. with it not being finished <laughs> you know, until finally you, when you can do no more or they're printing it and you can sort of step away from it. Yeah. Um, but it's, I, I, I have to say I have enjoyed that aspect of trying to... Um, well, actually brings us back to what I said earlier about the pictures telling their own story is that... Uh, I've changed my mind somewhat from the very beginning, so I realised that sometimes you've got to give the pictures a little help. Mm-hmm. So a little, some words, some way of articulating of what they might mean or what they, what they feel it, you know, what they, what it feels like, mm-hmm. um, seems to be important yeah. nowadays, just to help people. At the same time, finding ways of writing uh, words that are just as open. Right. Um, and not closed down as the pictures are. Right. Um, talking about your wife, I think a lot of people may not realize that she, as um, in addition to, you know, adding the words to your picture, she's also a respected artist and sculptor and doll maker. And she's just an all around amazing person. Um, and she actually sculpted uh, Jen and Kira from The Dark Crystal and the original Yoda, if I'm not mistaken, from That's right. Empire. She was, um, she was there in, uh, in the fabrication of... Yoda and building uh, a puppet for Frank Oz. Yeah. Because uh, he had just started on Dark Crystal um, as a as a sculptor, and, mm-hmm. um, and so she was helping Frank, and so the Yoda character developed between, you know, what she was doing, what Frank needed, and and so yeah, she was. We had no idea how iconic. <laughs> I don't Yoda think anybody did, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great for us because we, we had no idea because we were pioneering um, the creatures and the puppets for 
dark crystal, and we had no idea if it was really going to work. But mm-hmm. once, you know, but Yoda said, "Oh yes, this works." <laughs> <laughs> I I have to ask, uh, do you still have any of those original puppets? No. Yeah. No, I mean, not only do they, uh, no, I mean, they all belong to the, you know, the yeah. film people, but also um, the all that foam. foam oh, it degrades. It disintegrates, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, uh, so you, throughout your career, though, you worked with Jim Henson on several different projects. You did Dark Crystal, Labyrinth. You did uh, a couple episodes of The Storyteller, I believe. Um, and I think over the years, a lot of myths have grown up around him. Uh, and I'm curious to know what your lasting impression or memory of him is. Um, well, he was a gentleman <laughs> now, in, in all ways. That he was a gentle man, but he was a gentleman. He was um, he was charismatic. He was you know kind. He was um, what we liked about him was uh, being creative people. He he liked creative people as well. <laughs> he encouraged <laughs> our creativity. He was very open. Um, to all our ideas and suggestions. Uh, mind you, he always got his own way. Right. End, <laughs> but um, it, he was a you know great to work for. Um, and we, there was something about him that you would do anything for him. You know, he was our our leader. Yeah. We would follow him any, anywhere. He had that quality to him, and he was you know. Um, very uh, and he was funny. He was just so funny. I remember. His, I always remember his laughter mm. all the time. And so they were. We worked really hard when we worked on the films with Jim. But it was, they were some of the best days of our lives. Yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, just watching some of the behind the scenes and making of stuff from those films is incredible because it it does look like everybody was just working night and day all the time. <laughs> But it looks like it was just a fun place to work and a fun time to be very, I mean, because it was pure creativity, it looks like. Yes, and so I think that's why the the films have this longevity, because there's a little bit of us all yeah. in that. We didn't really know what we were doing, because um, uh, we made the films, like, for us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's something nobody will be able to, be able to do again, because you have the, you know, the budget constraints or or the, the story either that has to be worked out completely and uh, when we were working it was still very open and loose and and uh, we would change characters and change how it was going and and so it has a very had a very organic feel to it yeah and um and again not quite uh, finished um like the, like my paintings it has has an openness to it. That's why I think that's why they they last. I mean, when you look at Dark Crystal, you sort of see something new in it every time you see yeah. it, and emotionally you feel something different. And you do indeed with you know with Labyrinth is the same mm-hmm. same way. We, we had no idea that Labyrinth would speak to generations of you know teenage girls. It would <laughs> tell their story. You know, in, in in a metaphorical way. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I was going to ask. Do you, I mean, do you think that Dark Crystal or Labyrinth could get made today? I mean, no. just just from a story perspective, they're very dark. Y- yes, but and yet um, the thing about Dark Crystal, of course, it's the, the Jim is very keen on us not doing the usual, you know, evil versus good. Yeah. And the the, the, the the 
it's very subtle how he dealt with that, and that's why it's still like a bit of a puzzle mm-hmm. um, that we all, we're still trying to unlock. But um, but it but it's a spiritual film, um, and I think that's why it keeps lasting all this yeah. all this time. But I I think no, nobody would make it <laughs> <laughs> anymore. I mean, I think we were we were absolutely in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And thankfully, that. thankfully so, because yeah. it, that, like you said, both of those films speak to so many people so many years later. And it's just it's thankfully that they were made when they were. Yep. Because uh, yes, we assumed we were going to make more, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, the problem was that, um, you know, financially they didn't do well. Mm-hmm. And so there wasn't that, oh, let's make an, uh, you know, another one, although just before Jim died, um, I spoke to him on the phone, and we were about to start another film. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Jim was very happy with the films themselves in terms of their creativity and what he was trying to say, but obviously disappointed that the rest of the world <laughs> yeah. didn't think so too. But they do now. Yeah, it's fascinating how how it's you know permeated people's um, you know imagination. And oh yeah. That, and the number of people over the years that, I, that I've met that said because of Dark Crystal, they got into the business. Either they were going to do something creative or they, you know, started to draw or paint or they went into the movie business yeah. because yeah. of that film. And Jim would have been so pleased to hear yeah. that. Yeah. What, what was that film that he was about to start? We were going to do a, uh, a film about trolls. Oh, wow. Um, but we we're going to do it for children. It was actually, the, 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 you know, the films we made were um, crossovers. You could, they weren't just made for children. I mean, definitely right. Dark Crystal wasn't. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> you know, it was actually an adult film. It was made for us. Mm-hmm. But um, and then we sort of settled down a bit, and then definitely Labyrinth was a was aimed a bit more. And then Jim sort of said, "Well, why not? We'll just do something specifically yeah. for children." Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah, um, I I know you did some concept art for the Dark Crystal sequel that was proposed several years ago now, and I'm just curious if you have any insight to where things stand with that because I've heard various rumors that it's on, it's off, it's on, it's off. <laughs> no, I I never get. I always get find out what's going on after the event. After so, everybody else. <laughs> yeah. So when they go, oh, we probably should have told Brian. So um, I really uh, don't know. Um, yeah. So indeed, uh, yes, I have done some designs. So it's been a film, it's been a TV series. I don't know quite what it is at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but if it were to still move forward, you'd still be involved. You think? Um, I I don't know. I'm I'm getting old and tired. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, it, it was a joy to work with Jim, and it was mm-hmm. a joy to. Um, to develop things, you know, from the beginning, would just there would just be sketches, and then we would do prototype work, and gradually the characters would evolve, and they evolve uh, with certain reasons, you know, because of mechanics or you know proportions, and and so they had a life to them by the time we got ready to film, and they and so they the, the way they look and the way they moved absolutely. Um, express their personality, yeah, and that was that's what shines through in the films. Now, nowadays, they, they, they everything is written, 
Mm-hmm. And then, um, so somebody, some writer invents a character, <laughs> and then it would be my job to, what I would call, illustrate it. And I'm not that keen on illustrating. Yeah, <laughs> I want to be in the beginning and, the, sure. and be in the, that development, creative time. Sure, I don't blame the, you. The, 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 the gift that Jim Henson gave us all was to, that we could be part of it that way and develop things, but. I, yeah. Nowadays, I think people don't feel there's time or it, money to do it, but it's I, very think, different. I think there's a bit of space in there. I, I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. I, the, a Dark Crystal sequel, though, I think is a unique situation because Jim actually sketched out an idea for a sequel. Um, right. And so in in your mind, if a sequel were to ever get made, how important do you think that it is to stay faithful to his original ideas and, and and not stray too far from what he actually sketched out? Or do you think that it's enough to just be faithful to the spirit of the original film? I think it's, uh, it should be to the spirit of yeah. it. I think that's, to be frank, is um, sometimes where the new development goes wrong. Somehow it's thought that you need some adventure story that you impose upon the, the Dark Crystal world and its characters, and I don't think so. I think it comes the other way around, and that's what gives the original film its, its mysterious yeah. quality and what touches people. So, um, And also that it is, which I mentioned before, a spiritual film, and I think you haven't got to let go of that. Yeah. So, um, and it's, it's not all surface stuff, but it's inner stuff. <laughs> Yeah. And um, and I think not enough time or consideration is sort of given that given to that to as as they try to extend the world. Yeah. As long as we're speaking of sequels, it was only a couple of weeks after David Bowie passed that it was confirmed that they're doing a second Labyrinth, or at least that it's getting written right now, mm. and they've you know they've got a high a big name um, scriptwriter working on it right now, and I'm just wondering. Do you have thoughts on that, especially with the timing right yeah, now? Yeah, um, well, we were a bit shocked. Yeah. <laughs> it did seem wrong, but it didn't, you know, who knows how these things uh, get out. But um, but I think it proves my point is that, is that already they're writing a story, and I think it won't be the same. Because mm-hmm. um, Labyrinth originally was created by me, creating paintings and right. understanding about, well, puppets, about what, how we could create creatures um, and their proportions, but in their proportions there was something of their character. Um, and I, I don't know if I can be part of a world that's just already, as far as I'm concerned, rather shut down before it even starts. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I've always felt it would make a fantastic stage show oh yeah um where where because it's the the metaphor of the labyrinth is is very strong and um, and if you turn every a corner in a labyrinth you can come across different creatures you know mm-hmm. so it would be a great opportunity to have because people people are not so much amazed anymore with cgi <laughs> you know but people are still amazed with puppets and creatures because they, they can't figure out how it's done because it's real it has a presence you know so i can imagine all these fantastic amazing creatures on a stage will just blow people away so yeah 
I'm oh, holding out for a musical. <laughs> well, it's true, you know. I mean, you're absolutely right. We've been, as an audience, we've been completely numbed to the whole computer-generated animation, and it's nothing really... I mean, you can appreciate incredible imagery and, and, and great animation, but not to the point that if you were to see a puppet do amazing things. You know, I went to see Warhorse, and oh. that, that the horse puppet that they have for that play is unbelievable. And you, after five minutes, you don't even see the puppeteers anymore. All you see is this horse. Yes. And I think that they're, you're right. There's a, this tangible magic to it that just blows you away as an audience. Um, so I, all of that to say that I would absolutely agree with you that I think Labyrinth would make an amazing stage play. I, I would go see it. <laughs> well, <laughs> Opening yeah. night, hands I down. Go, so there's two. It's a, there, we'll be there together. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're talking about Labyrinth, and I, I imagine you have, for many, many reasons, you've got a soft spot for that film, but not least of which, I'm sure, is because your son is very prominently featured. And I'm just, I wonder, how did he end up in that role in the first place? Um, well, when we finished Dark Crystal, um, we were, it was five years of our lives, and we were exhausted, and we, we sort of said, well, never, ever again. And we'd gone to an opening of that in San Francisco, and after after that, we were, Wendy and Jim and myself were in the limousine, and we were driving off, and then Jim just looked at me and said, should we do another one? <laughs> <laughs> and we said, well, why not? But it was in that moment there that um, when we were trying to get to ideas, I suggested uh, goblins. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, Jim likes monsters, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> so does Frank Oz. And so we thought that would be great. And the, he said that the thing that changed everything is that this time I want human beings in it as well. Mm. And immediately I had a, a vision of a baby surrounded by goblins. Cause, um, and Jim said, well, what's the story? I said, well, you know, goblins traditionally in folklore steal babies and you've got to try and rescue them and I and I came up with a labyrinth a labyrinth and I said because a labyrinth is not only a physical thing but also it's a metaphorical thing you know it's a state of mind right. and so um he said that's great so I came back to England and immediately painted a picture of a baby surrounded by goblins and that was the beginning of the film and I started to paint other creatures and Jim responded, and we started to develop the story from it. So we always knew we wanted a baby about one year old for for the film, and so um, and as you know, the film was taking longer than we thought to develop, um, and so when we were getting close to filming, we suddenly thought, oh well, we need the baby, <laughs> and lo and behold. I seemed to find one, I found one at home. And <laughs> one that was popped our up. Son Toby, who was exactly the right age. And of course, he was great because he would you know, come into the workshop. And so he loved all the puppets. And so he was perfect for the part. Yeah. Just very fortuitous that uh, yeah. you happen to have that baby at home. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, I want to quickly go back to your art. What you were saying is about how, you know, the images reveal themselves to you and how it's a struggle and how it comes to be. But when you sit down with a blank piece of paper or a blank canvas, where do you start if that's such a process of revealing itself to you? 
uh, making marks. Just, yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's a weird thing. I just say I have no imagination. <laughs> I don't sort of picture things in my head and then draw it. I have to find a way to get to it. So often it will be marks, little abstract marks, and then gradually there's a face beginning to a, appear. Um, you know, once that starts to develop, then the rest of the drawing is to try and respond to the marks I've got. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and and let let it emerge. So that's the that's the way I sort of can get to to somewhere. So um, so that's why I think my stuff, although it refers to other art, it refers to folklore images, has a um, a difference to it because it's come from another place. Yeah. You know, its it, its strength is because of as I said before, the abstractions that under underpin it hmm. what are you working on now um what am i working on <laughs> oh we're just about we're trying to finish a book we're doing um another uh press fairy lady cottington book okay um which we're bringing up to date we're coming up through the 20s and 30s and then we're up to a a modern girl yeah. and we're on the last um what takes on that now so we should be finished hopefully in a couple of weeks and then it's um and i'm back to painting (laughs) there's (laughs) another book we want to do after that and so do you do you still just paint just for the joy and not for a specific project what are you you suggesting sir (laughs) joy and this is is miserable (laughs) i i hate it i can't stand it it's because it's just agony trying to get it right. I mean, I'm I enjoy the image making. I enjoy it when it's done. Yeah. And I enjoy the the journey because it's you know I'm obviously I'm passionate about uh, the fairies and and what they express. And um, but it's just difficult. <laughs> Sometimes I, mean, I have to say as I get older, I think, well, what's the point? Why aren't people buying the books? Why am I doing? You know, I want to give up, but I can't really. Once you, once you tread on the fairy path, yeah, they won't let you off. They've got they've got a hold on you. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic, Brian. Thank uh, you so much for your time. This is oh, I really appreciate it. Well, that's it for this week on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Another episode has come and gone. <laughs> But it will always be here. You can just rewind. Rewind. I just rewind. Said rewind. You can rewind. always just go How back to the beginning. No. Yeah, you can always just go back to the beginning of the file and listen to it again. <laughs> the file. There we, we go. are. We Thanks are eternal. <laughs> and as always, guys, I just want to thank you so much every week for hitting download, hitting subscribe, and thank you for reaching out to us if you have in the past. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we are at the GBB Podcast on Twitter, at the GBB Podcast on Facebook. And we just love to have communication with you and, you know, let us know if there's anybody you want us to go after to get on this show. Um, we we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of people in the works that we want on here that we haven't announced yet, but if you have somebody, let us know because Jamie is the master booker. He can get them. <laughs> I can't make promises. There's a lot of, you know, I don't know if I could get Obama. You better be getting <laughs> Bill Gates next week. Okay. I'll be disappointed. Yeah. He might be a tough catch, but, uh, I do what I can. <laughs> right. So uh, thanks so much for coming by this week. Come on by to our house anytime. 
<laughs> Be we kind. Like- rewind. <laughs> All right, guys. I'm Justin at 140 Justin C. I am Jamie at the Roarbots. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.